0: i uh-huh. uh-huh. Everyone, and welcome to the Protagonist Podcast, For each week we look at a great character and a great story. I'm Joe Dorowski, and this week we're discussing the midwives from the TV show called The Midwife. And joining us for the discussion is re- returning all-star guest, Kirsta Christensen. Welcome back, Kirsta.
1: Hello. Thanks for having me.
0: Very glad to have you back on, and thank you for suggesting this. This is one of those shows that I've heard a lot about, and I know my wife has... I don't think she's watched all of it, but she's watched more of it than I have. And it's kind of been on the radar of something that might be... Uh, interesting to dig into for the podcast. So when you said you want to do call the midwife, I was immediately on board for that. Um, And just a little bit of trivia. I just realized for our listeners, Kirsta, you're the last person I recorded an episode of the podcast with in the same room. (laughs) oh and it was almost a year ago to to this day
1: so are you saying that our recording caused the pandemic is that the it's direct possible. correlation yeah, yeah yeah it's
0: possible uh because i mean you you work with emily and and uh you were a you often you're able to come over and we're actually able to be in the same room while podcasting which is always a delight because i think it gets a better more natural rapport in the speech and there's a little less talking over we're in the same room but obviously once the uh you know the 2019 happened or 2020, right, happened. 2020. You know, the, the COVID-19 <laughs> in 2020 yes. uh, that, that stopped. And so, uh, yeah, I think it was last February um, was the last time I was actually able to record a podcast with someone else. Wow. Room.
1: Well, I well maybe I get I can be the first one back when we are when it's safe to be back together again.
0: Yeah, that would be nice. Uh some point we'll all be vaccinated and uh we, we could actually <laughs> start doing stuff like that again. That's really what we're all waiting for is podcasting in the same room as a guest. I think that's... Oh
1: yeah, no, it's 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 the top priority. Mm-hmm. Um and then, you know, like schools and businesses yeah. and stuff. I but... mean when
0: people are talking about like a return to normal, that's <laughs> <laughs> what i think most people are trying to get at not being able to leave their house with their children
1: (laughs) oh yeah no no the children are feral now that's fine that's as nature intended
0: uh, but anyway, <laughs> we're talking about Call of the Midwife, <laughs> which is a BBC period drama about a group of nurse midwives, some of whom are also nuns. And it premiered in 2012 and has been running for nine series. And you put in so far. So is it more being made? Do you know for sure? Or
1: Yes, I think that it's um, I think it's about to um, start the 10th series. Let me double check that. Let's That's a, all the midwife. I mean, For
0: BBC particularly, that feels like a very solid run.
1: Yeah, that is 20 episodes now. No, I'm just kidding. That is 80 episodes.
0: <laughs> uh, I mean, I, I I say that, but then there's also like the other end of the BBC spectrum is something like Doctor Who that just never ends. So there is a mix right, of like, right. you get three series and two holiday specials and that's the entire run and you don't ask for more. Or there's the the Doctor Who side where it's like, this is just going to go and we're going to swap out the cast and you will always love it.
1: <laughs> yeah. So it looks like the 10th the episode, the 10th series began with... This last December with a Christmas special, and now it's currently running.
0: Oh, okay. So, so still going. Um, we are going to be discussing the second episode of the series, which is titled Episode Two, and it was written by Heidi Thomas and directed by Philippa Lowthorpe, and I trust I got close on that pronunciation Uh, I'm just gonna try and say it with more confidence Philippa Lothorpe there we go that that sounded right uh and particularly we're gonna be talking about the character Jenny Lee who is played by Jessica Rain and Chummy Noakes who is played by Miranda Hart
1: and I'll say um she is currently in this episode she is she is Chummy Fortescue Chumley Brown. So Chummy, so Noakes, her last name Noakes, that's a bit of a spoiler as to someone that she actually marries, but that's okay. Ah, Um,
0: You meet him in this episode and you know there's a little spark right there. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, when I was looking up the name, it was just under Chummy Noakes, but. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Yes, she does have that fun middle name, particularly,
1: because Chummy is from her middle name, right? So Chummy is, she has, a triple last name she is that mm. fancy so her first name is camilla and her last name is fortescue hyphen chumley hyphen brown okay so i think chummy is from her second middle name which is spelled Cholmondeley, but pronounced chumley because okay. british aristocracy
0: Right, I saw that here in Wikipedia, and I'm glad I did not take a run at that name. <laughs> I, would, I would not have landed uh, where, where you did that. <laughs> um, so, uh, Kirsten, so you were kind enough to look up some trivia about uh, Call the Midwife. Do you want to go ahead and share that? Sure.
1: Call the Midwife is based on the memoirs of Jennifer Worth, who is a nurse midwife who worked in London's East End in the 1950s. The first three seasons drew heavily on Worth's memoirs. So I believe she has three published memoirs that more or less correlated with each season. And then when they ran out of her original material, they wanted to keep the show was immensely popular, and they wanted to keep doing it. So, um, so her character was written out of the show left the midwife left left the um the midwives actually did in real life to focus on another part type of nursing and they just kept running with um with old characters and new characters um and the show there are very few actors who have been regulars on the show through the whole all, all the way through I can think of four off the top of my head it's more common for someone to show up for three or four seasons so characters do tend to stick around for a while but they don't necessarily um stay around forever but it's not quite you know so it doesn't have quite as much turnover as some shows but um it is kind of funny to to be watching an early season and then be like and then kind of remember oh yeah this character hasn't come yet or that character hasn't come yet so a lot of really fun characters so um the midwives all live in a convent called nanata's house that is Based on the real life Anglican religious order of the community of St. John the Divine. And some of the midwives are nuns who trained as nurses as part of their religious order. So that was part of their calling was to be nurses and midwives. And the lay midwives are single young women who receive room and board at Nanata's house as part of their National Health Services assignment. And I know, Joe, you recently rewatched the first episode. Which I haven't seen in a while, but that shows that shows um, the new midwife showing up and discovering that she's going to be living in a convent with some nuns, which is a little unexpected. <laughs>
0: yes, she was expecting just you know other midwives like her, uh-huh. <laughs> and yeah, uh, you know it's uh, a little different experience than what she yes. had been anticipated.
1: Uh, Because there is a birth in almost every episode, the show works with a specialty talent agency to cast babies who are up to eight weeks old to play the newborns, and they work with 60 to 70 babies per season, um, plus a number of other young child actors who often play, you know, toddler siblings, Um, and they also have a silicone sort of lifelike doll that they use during rehearsal. And I have to say, in this episode, at least one of those babies was much older than a newborn. And so I kind of wondered if they hadn't quite hit their stride yet in terms of casting newborns. I was going to
0: say, in the first episode um, that I watched, I was super impressed to see newborns because you can always tell when Mm -hmm. they're using... Real live newborns versus that they're holding a doll very distant. Yes, <laughs> um, yes. And, but in the first episode, one of the main plot points is um, a premature child being born, and they're uh-huh. using a newborn baby that just is very clearly healthier than a premature <laughs> child, and of a size. So and not.
1: they've and they've also said that they do sometimes try to cast. Um, probably like the twins who are smaller, or something to play their premature babies, but um, but yeah, that's that's a difficult thing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, well, you, know, not, to it was,
0: you absolutely couldn't really use a premature child for that. I mean, no, no, way no on, you could not. You know, right? That that right. would be moral or ethical at all uh, right. So, so yes. I completely understand what the constraints they're working in. But on the yes. one hand, I was like surprised with the level of you know veracity verisimilitude that we were getting uh-huh. in having a newborn child right there I'm like oh wow but then also it was a little bit um you right know, you know I caught on it <laughs>
1: right and it's interesting um I, I didn't actually put this in the notes but this came up in the reading that um a lot of the actors who are are playing the women who are who are giving birth I, I think because you know Birth rates. Women used to be a lot younger when they would, you know, get married and, and have children for the first time. A lot of the actors haven't had children, and so they work with a coach that explains to them what different stages of labor are like, so that they can, um, so that they can, you know, mimic the process of what it's like to go through childbirth. Which I didn't even think about. Where you have, you know, not only these women who are pretending to deliver babies and all this stuff, but you have to have women who are pretending to go through childbirth, and you have to have actors in every single episode who are pretending to go through childbirth who may not you know have been through that in real life so
0: i had not thought about that side of it at all
1: oh yeah yeah no you're like oh yeah in addition to you know casting babies and, and whatnot um every episode begins with a voiceover by vanessa redgrave as the older jennifer worth looking back on her time as a midwife Um, And as you and I were just discussing before the podcast, even after season three or series three, when when Jenny Lee's character leaves, Vanessa Redgrave still does voiceovers. So we don't know how Jennifer Worth is (laughs) contemplating events that she didn't witness, but we like having Vanessa Redgrave do voiceovers. So um, so that just makes us happy.
0: Yeah, I mean it's one of those voices that just feels right. Yes <laughs> to, to yes. be a narrator.
1: Uh-huh. And then Stephen McGann, an actor who plays series regular Dr. Turner, is married in real life to Heidi Thomas, who's the creator of the series, or I think the co-creator, and the writer of many of its episodes. Um and once I learned this, I was like, oh my goodness, that makes so much sense. Because Dr. Turner is like the best man in the world um <laughs> he is he's just and i truthfully it, it's interesting because it's a very female dominated show but the men who were series regulars on the show are just wonderful. All of them, um, you know, caring and supportive and Dr. Turner's like the best. I was like, okay, if she's writing for her husband, of course she's going to be like, and then he was wonderful and kind and supportive. And you know,
0: well, she did write um, the episode we're talking about today.
1: So yes. Yeah. Yes. And then also um, his character, there are some, we, we may discuss some kind of spoilery things that happen with his character in series two. Um, And he wanted to know how things were going to turn out with his character, and she would not tell him. (laughs) So (laughs) That's kind of fun. Um, The show covers some changes in the culture of childbirth from the 1950s, the late 50s to the early 60s. Such as giving birth at home versus in a hospital, uh, the introduction of nitrous oxide as anesthesia, and allowing fathers to be present in the delivery room. So none of those were common um, when the show starts, and then they're they're kind of beginning to be common, or becoming more, or becoming more um, popular as the show kind of progresses and, and people of the show react to it. And then the show regularly tackles social issues such as teen pregnancy, miscarriage, birth defects, abortion, domestic violence, abuse, poverty, disability, disease, religion, immigration, racism, and other types of prejudice. And actually, maybe we should have done this at the very beginning, but um, I I do want to give a bit of a content warning for this episode just regarding – pregnancy and and some other issues um it because the show does discuss those things very frankly and i think it does a really good job of discussing them but it does not shy away from from some really difficult topics
0: yeah um in just the two episodes that i've now you know watched and prepped for this it was dealing with a lot of very real issues you know just right head on uh Mm -hmm. you know and not um not not sugarcoating it for the audience at all um yeah and and so yeah maybe i think you're right that you know maybe in terms of the the content just be aware of um when we're talking about the health issues and also um at least in the first two episodes so many of the uh like you said the the men who are in the the recurring characters are great some of the other men that we meet from episode to episode are not
1: yes yes (laughs) yes <laughs> if you if you only show up for one episode of call the midwife you might be a terrible man uh but if you are a serious regular you are probably a good man
0: <laughs> yes. well thank you uh for all that trivia now one other thing that kind of stood out to me and i this is just something i'm not as familiar with but there were a couple references in these early episodes about how things were different and you mentioned like there's gonna be more changes coming but how even you know right from the get-go this is a point of transition in terms of british healthcare and the mm-hmm. nhs um and both in terms of uh the training that everyone who was going to be involved seemed to have also how accessible um all these um necessary medical procedures were going to be for the common people like um there's uh you know a woman who uh, in this episode had, you know, lost three children and it's kind of implied if we'd had the NHS up and running, she would not have had to lose those earlier, you know, those, those three children before. Uh, but now mm-hmm. that we, we do have it where it's at, um, we're going to be able to to help her. Um, do you have any familiarity at all with like when the NHS was coming about? I mean, really, my yeah. case is just from this.
1: <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. And I, and I, mine is, you know, mostly for that. Um, let's see. It says that they have been, Researching the recesses of our brain. Yes. Double, um, double, um, real quick. It says since 1948, they've been funded out of general taxation. And then I don't know if there were any, because this is what, 1957? I, saying,
0: uh, I knew it was in the 50s. So not Yeah, too I think long. it's.
1: Um,
0: let me check the recesses of my mind. Yeah,
1: and I don't know if it's just that things were kind of expanding, um, or or if there if the fifties were were particularly a time of growth, or um, be, because it looks like it looks like it was very first instituted in in after World War after World War One or two. But you know, they're they may they've been expanding, or it may just have been a time of like every year things are getting better, or there are more right. things we can do. Yeah, which absolutely. kind of the fifties were in general. It just seemed like this time of you know the, the sort of the golden age. If you for for like I was watching a, a YouTube video earlier today about um about Walt Disney World and how you know looking back on the 1950s is an era of progress and stuff so it may have been also an era of great medical progress which was reflected in in the National Health Service and the other services they were able to um provide
0: and also kind of like like provide to the masses right yes Uh, right um, right at at a larger scale maybe than Mm -hmm. they've been able to do previously okay well, before we move on to the uh, full summary of this episode, we want to thank you for downloading uh, this episode, listeners. And we want to thank you for listening. And we especially want to thank those of you who support us on Patreon. If you would like to support us on patreon we invite you to go to patreon.com slash protagonist and support our show with at least a dollar per month all supporters on patreon at any level receive access to our special quick casts which are shorter episodes in which we talk about the media we've been consuming that we are not yet covering in full episodes of the podcast someday we also hope to return to our uh fantasy box office game once again those vaccines <laughs> are more fully distributed through the country
1: once once the box office is no longer a fantasy um, <laughs> exactly. I, so, so I, I learned the word parasocial last year, which is, which describes a one-sided social relationship and like celebrity relationships are often de- de- um, described as parasocial because lots of people know this person, but that person doesn't know them all back. But podcasting is also just often described as a parasocial relationship because you download these podcasts and you listen to them and you're just like, oh, they're my friends. Um, and so for various reasons, I've been trying to remind myself that, um, not everyone I listen to on a podcast actually is my friend, but when I listen to the quick casts, I get to listen to my actual friends. <laughs> so, that's a nice reminder that I can be, I can be, I, I don't have to feel unhealthily invested in that podcast because darn it, I do know these people. <laughs> yes,
0: exactly. I've, um, uh, just because of a, a project I'm doing on, on survivor. I've recently had a chance to interview a couple, um, survivor podcasters who I've listened to and also. For, uh-huh. um a couple of people who've been on the show and it's exactly what you're talking about it's like before i do the <laughs> interview i need to remind myself they have no relationship with me at all
1: <laughs> they don't know me i think that we have all these inside jokes but they are one way inside jokes exactly.
0: so,
1: <laughs> so parasocial a great vocabulary word um and we send love to all of our parasocial fans out there that i'm sure we would be best friends with you uh if we actually had met most of you <laughs> yes
2: um so can I step in for a second? Yes. Because I'm actually familiar with the term parasocial. Okay, yes. Sure jumping uh, in here. <laughs> I am familiar with that term because back when I worked in radio, I did a report based on uh, – and I interviewed the researcher. A researcher had done a study about um, parasocial bonds and uh-huh. what kind of impact they can have on a person based on how the person – the like it even works with fictional characters. You can have parasocial bonds with superheroes or something.
1: Yeah. And
2: how is that character depicted and how that impacts you. And so for the study, they had done like a grip strength test Uh on people who identified parasocial bonding to superhero characters like Batman and Spider-Man, but they did the grip strength (laughs) test before and after um, showing them pictures. So like they did, you know, a baseline control and then they showed a a picture of Batman or Spider-Man in a strong pose looking, you know, uh-huh. Tough and, and powerful and they did another grip strength test and people performed better right they were benefited by seeing a mass like i don't want to say masculine we'll say muscular depiction sure. <laughs> um, of of the character that they had a parasocial bond to but if the depiction was a weakened um, state you know they had mm-hmm. just lost a battle or something yeah they did not perform as well oh. and so parasocial bonding can have a positive effect if the person that you're parasocially bonded to is portrayed positively right? when they are doing well, you feel like you're doing well and you perform better. It's, it's inspirational to a degree.
0: That makes me think of all the, uh, like all the, the fans have become very invested in like the, will they, won't they romantic relationships on long running sitcoms, you know, Mm -hmm. and and you want, you you need, (laughs) you know, it feels like you need them to, to actually have a happy ending, you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, if I listen to all the quick casts, then I will pick up your, your, uh, the Dorowski brothers knowledge of star Wars and X-Men and
0: <laughs> it's, uh, sometimes what podcasts we're listening to, we talk about those. So you could start to build a web of Paris. <laughs> yeah,
1: <that's right>. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, all right. Well, thank you, uh, Andrew for jumping in. I love those kinds of tangents. Um, I think that's one of the things that's kind of one of the a feature of podcasting is that you can go down those little tangents, uh, and it's not too disruptive. Well, at least hopefully, I, I'm not being it. too disruptive. <laughs> there are probably some listeners who are like, "Okay, let's get on to the summary." Yes. <laughs> so, Kirsten, you have the summary for this episode.
1: I do. Okay, um, and this show often will have a couple of storylines running through the show. Um, and in this episode, I kind of even hesitate them to call them an A story and a B story, because I'm not sure I'd really say that one is primary, but there are two separate storylines. For clarity, I'm going to retell them separately. I'm not just going to yes. pop back and forth between each of them. I sign
0: off on this. It's a move we've learned in our summer. Yes. That really yes. helps to, to <laughs> disentangle some complex uh, narrative thread.
1: Right. Yeah. Meanwhile, works really well in television, and it's hard to do uh, in in audio retelling of a story. So yeah,
0: we want clarity, and it really does offer greater clarity to just say, "Here's point A and point B of this story, and A and B of this other story."
1: Yep. So we're well. I'll start with the story of Jennifer Lee. So she's the nurse that it was her. She was she was very brand new to the convent last episode, the first episode, and now she's like you know barely knows her way around and then there's also um there's also a new nurse chummy brown and so she's going to be the b story so i'll start with jennifer's story the story begins with nurse jennifer lee riding her bicycle at night through the deserted streets of poplar a district in london on her way to deliver a baby in voiceover she remarks that she always felt that the nighttime belonged to women while the daytime belonged to men she safely delivers the baby then rides home in the morning through streets now teeming with dock workers and others Later in the day, Jenny meets a girl named Mary who asks her for help changing a five-pound note, saying that people will accuse her of having stolen it if she tries to do so, with the implication that Jenny looks more respectable so people will trust her. For reference, a five-pound note would be worth between 100 hundred and two hundred and $200 in today's money. I had to look that up after I was trying to figure out how much it was worth. Thank you, because um,
0: they make a really big deal about it being five pounds. I'm like, what? Right. How, how much are we talking? <laughs>
1: Yeah, and I knew the predecimal I knew the pre decimal currency well enough to know how much change they were getting. But then but then I'm still like, okay, you know, their their meal is costing them like a twentieth or a fortieth of the whole thing, but I'll just I'll just look it up. So um yes, so so Mary's worried that people will think that she's stolen the note um because she has, actually, as we saw in a in a previous scene. Jenny suggests that they use the five-pound note to buy lunch at a local cafe. And while they are eating, Mary explains that she's from Ireland, but that she came from England to escape a troubled home life. After her father died, Mary's mother became an alcoholic and then brought home another man that Mary didn't want to be around. Having no connections in England, Mary has fallen into prostitution. Mary is pregnant and is scared that if she goes back to her pimp, he will force her to have an illegal abortion like one of the other girls. Jenny agrees to help her find somewhere she can stay. Sister Julianne, head of Nonata's house, puts Mary in touch with Father Joe, an Irish priest who has set up a home for girls in mary's position and right that right there, the fact that like this is a big enough problem that you have a home not just for you know not just for quote unquote fallen women, but for like specifically probably Irish Catholic women because you know we're in England and so most people are going to be Anglican, that is like a social commentary right there mm-hmm. um. Mary doesn't want to think of herself as a, quote, fallen woman. She says that she had a boyfriend, Zakir, but that her boyfriend eventually forced her to work for his uncle. Privately, Father Joe tells Jenny that seducing a vulnerable girl and then making her work for a pimp is a very common tactic. He adds that girls like Mary, who have grown up in poverty and without love or respect, are especially at risk. Jenny visits Mary in the Catholic home for unwed mothers to check on the progress of her pregnancy. All is proceeding well, but Mary mentions that that Zakir is is waiting out on the street, watching her through the window. Father Joe is furious that Zakir is keeping tabs on her, and he arranges for her to be sent out of London entirely. Jenny hears that Mary has had her baby and goes to visit her. Mary shows her the baby and says that her name is Kathleen, an Irish name that means pure. A few days later, Jenny gets a note from Mary saying that the baby is gone and asking her to come. Father Joe drives Jenny to where Mary is staying. Mary is distraught and keeps calling for her baby. She has infections in both breasts from not being able to nurse. Father Joe explains that it is standard procedure in these circumstances to place the babies up for adoption. Jenny protests that Mary did not consent to give her baby up, but Father Joe points out that Mary is only 15 herself and cannot legally consent in this case. Without a baby, she can learn a trade and perhaps find real love and have another baby although she will never be able to be reunited with Kathleen. So that's our first story. Kind of a downer. Yeah. A bit um,
0: brutal to watch that one. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. B story. And remember, these are going back and forth between the two. Um, we don't have like the first half is tragic and the second half is happy. Um Although that would be an interesting way to structure a show. Um, there is a new nurse at Nanata's house and her name is Camilla Fortescue Chumley Brown. That is one single last name, Fortescue hyphen Chumley hyphen Brown. Though she says that she usually goes by Chummy. Sister Evangelina, a gruff no-nonsense nun, greets her at the door and does not seem impressed chummy is quite tall over six feet and it turns out that the largest uniform they have in stock is still too small chummy remarks that she has always been tall and adds that her aya in india just used to sew extra ruffles at the bottom of her dresses that approach won't work here but chummy cheerfully says that she will sew her own uniform having been at the royal school of needlework before she turned to nursing while chummy is working on the pattern for her uniform she makes conversations with the other nurses jenny who we've already met Trixie, a very stylish nurse, and quiet Cynthia. Conversation turns to Princess Margaret, the sister of Queen Elizabeth. Cynthia wonders what she likes, and Chummy volunteers that she is, quote, frightfully vivacious when she's had a gin. The other girls stare in shock at the implication that Chummy personally knows a member of the royal family. Chummy tries to backtrack a bit and explains that she actually hasn't seen Princess Margaret since her father was knighted. So, you know, in trying to kind of back off a little bit, she sort of doubled down, um, since her father was knighted for services to the Viceroy of India. So in case the triple barreled surname and stories of Indian nannies hadn't already tipped us off, Chummy comes from a very aristocratic family, much so more so than the other nurses at Nanada's house. Cynthia remarks that Sister Evangelina in particular came from a very poor background and is not likely to look favorably on someone as posh as Chummy. To further complicate matters, it turns out that Chubby doesn't know how to ride a bike, although she does know how to ride a horse. (laughs) She volunteers that she will simply walk to all of her appointments, but the other girls explain that their assigned area is too large to be covered by foot. They try teaching her to ride a bike with mixed results, while neighborhood boys who are playing in the street make fun of her struggles. Sister Evangelina and Sister Monica Joan, an older, more eccentric nun, observe the proceedings, and Sister Evangelina predicts that the East End will eat Chubby for breakfast chummy is assigned to work an afternoon with the local doctor dr turner at a prenatal clinic for women in the neighborhood they see mrs mckenty a patient who had rickets as a child and who consequently wears leg braces and uses a walker dr turner explains to chummy that the disease also left mrs mckenty with a malformed pelvis his bedside manner is a bit lacking though because he doesn't notice that mrs mckenty has burst into tears and then he does this whole sort of like come now, let's have a stiff upper lip kind of thing. And I don't know if this is character development or if he's just written a little bit better, but this is really like the worst bedside manner he has in the show, I would think. He's he's really usually much better, but- this also serves a plot point. So um, so he doesn't notice that Mrs. McKenty has burst into tears. She sobs that she felt the baby move last week, but she's worried that she's going to lose this baby as well. It turns out that she had four previous pregnancies that resulted in stillbirths, although she will now be able to deliver this baby safely via cesarean section. Luckily, Chummy is able to call Mrs. McKenty down, reassuring her that this new baby is a chance for a new beginning and that everyone is there to help her. Chummy moves out of the way for Dr. Turner to begin his examination, but she inadvertently knocked o- knocks over a cart of medical equipment, some of which shatters. Sister I mean, you know,
0: Right uh, now, that Miranda Hart, who plays Chummy, okay. is she's, she has a fabulous comedic show called Miranda. Yes. Uh, mm-hmm. but one of the running jokes is that she is a, like very tall. She's just tall like she's uh-huh. just big yes. for a woman uh, like you mentioned yes. like, there's no uniforms that fit her and they're, uh-huh. they're leaning into her like she's too big for the space that's around her she's bigger than yes. the men that are around yes. her uh, mm-hmm. and, and so you see that in her TV show Miranda which I adore that sitcom but you also see it in this you know in this portrayal as well this idea that kind of like um, there's that phrase in Harry Potter that still sticks in my head about Hagrid where, where it said like Hagrid seemed too big to be allowed and that's kind of yes. how Miranda's uh, <laughs> heart gets cast I think is this feeling that she's a little too big to be allowed uh-huh. she's in this space
1: (laughs) yes yes yeah so so she shatters some of the medical equipment sister evangelina observes the broken equipment sister evangelina observes the broken equipment and gripes that she hopes chummy isn't as clumsy with the babies dr turner on the other hand praises her for her bedside manner with mrs mckenty and reassures her that that is the most important quality in a nurse and midwife some of the nurses are reviewing procedures in case of a breech birth a complicated and potentially dangerous situation in which the baby is born feet first
0: Oh, Chekhov's gun right here
1: (laughs) yes that will not come up at all definitely (laughs) sister bernadette another nun asks if any of the newer nurses have ever witnessed breech birth in their training chummy says that she once saw the beginning of a breech birth but not the end because she passed out during it and came to when the baby had already been delivered Chummy is out riding a bicycle with the other midwives and is mostly doing well, but she panics and wipes out when she has to turn a corner. Unfortunately, she crashes into a local policeman, Constable Noakes, who luckily decides not to charge her with assaulting an officer of the law. Chummy makes amends by buying him a bottle of whiskey, although she is surprised that the local market doesn't carry Glenlivet, a very expensive brand. (laughs) Chummy is called out on her first solo delivery, but when she arrives, she realizes the baby is breached and that she will need assistance. She dispatches Jack, a boy who is the older brother of the expected baby, to go into the street and call Nanata's house and tell them the baby is breached. And, you know, another further complication is most people don't have telephones. Um, I mean, the fact that Nanata's house, you know, certainly most convents wouldn't have, but, I mean, their are midwives, they need a telephone. So it's always, it's not just, okay, call the doctor. It's go out into the street and remember the telephone number and (laughs) go yeah yeah um sister evangelina and dr turner eventually arrive but the delivery has passed has progressed quickly enough that the baby has almost been born and they really can't do anything to help chummy keeps a cool head remembers her training and successfully delivers the baby Big brother Jack, who was one of the street boys who previously bullied Chummy, becomes her fierce defender and refuses to let anyone else make fun of her, which allows her to become a confident cyclist. Out of gratitude, Chummy generously buys Jack his own bike, and they cycle through the neighborhood together. So that's the happy ending of the first episode compared with the tragic ending of the first episode.
0: Right. (laughs) Um. How do you,
1: how, which one of these characters Do you want to talk about first? I guess we can just uh... We can talk about Jenny um, She's, I mean she's kind of like the viewpoint Character mm-hmm. Um, Although, well anyway Yeah, so let, let's start with Jenny
0: One thing that I think is interesting having watched the pilot and then this Episode back to back is that you see How quickly Jenny shifts from the Fish out of water, I didn't even mm-hmm. know there were going to be Nuns here to let me show You the ropes to Chummy yeah. when she comes um, mm-hmm. Which uh feels very rapid to go do it from just one episode to the next but also it's true to life that once there's someone new there <laughs> you <Yes>. know, <laughs> you're the one that <laughs> has more experience you 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 know by default can tell yeah. show the person around more than yeah. what they
1: already know you'd be like oh i know things i actually know things about how we do this yeah mm-hmm. yeah jenny's an interesting character um you know she's she's kind of the de facto viewpoint character and i wouldn't say there really is a viewpoint character um after series 3 it's it's more of just an ensemble show um but sometimes you know some viewers don't like her as much as some of the other characters because she can come off as um as kind of judgmental and sort of like middle class and prudish and i mean in fairness a lot of it is just her stepping into this world of you know the nursing world, I mean she's been trained for that, but the fact that you know the fact that some people are so poor, the fact that um you know the the fact that this woman this this in the case of Mary, this girl is pregnant, and there you know there are some institutions that can help her a little bit, but she's been let down really by everyone in her life thus far um and you know it's it's interesting because um a lot of the other nurses just kind of, I mean, really, one of the whole points of the show is you do what you have to do in the short term. You know, you help people in the short term, you make things work. And then they debate kind of issues in the long term. And obviously, as a period piece, you know, looking back from the 21st century, um, there we have a different perspective there's a different perspective inherent in the show because it's like oh you know this is how things were in the 1950s and you know aren't we grateful that some things are different now um but at the same time there's you know so you have that short-term view and that long-term view um but i think another implicit message of the show is that we need to keep helping people who are you know who are let down by society um certain circumstances you know there, there may be certain situations where people have more options now, but that's not true of every situation. And there are still people who find themselves in really difficult situations or, you know, who, who need help. Um, and so, yeah, so she's an interesting character. And they also do something where, you know, if if there's some hot button issue... Um, they'll have different people have different opinions about it. And so they can kind of recreate the debate that was going on at the time. Um, even something like allowing the father in the delivery room was not at all common. And I, and it, it happens in a few episodes, but it's very, very unusual. And some people just do not approve. Sister Angelina is like, no, men do not belong in the delivery room. Um, even though that seems very natural to us now. Mm-hmm. So. Um, yeah. I think it's a
0: part of the nature of a memoir, which is how this gets framed is it's like an eyes, looking back at a different time right Mm -hmm. and and so you expect some of that i think this gets positioned in that transitional point that we've kind of already touched on where it's not just saying this was a different time from now but also it was a different time from even like 10 years before yes yes uh, like like
1: the yeah like the availability of a cesarean section for a woman who can't you know who can't deliver a birth have a normal delivery yeah mm -hmm. even that makes a huge difference in her life and that's just over the course of her lifetime
0: Yeah. So we get an interesting like a point of transition going both directions. Uh, Mm -hmm. And with that voiceover at the beginning, you're kind of reminded every single time um, that this isn't just a, a slice of life. Like this is a look back. Right. Um, and, And I think it does something different for the audience to kind of give us that constant reminder of how the series is being positioned. And I think we, we get a few interesting things where, Um, Like, like in this, in this particular episode, you see like the institution of the NHS, it's kind of treated as like this miracle that's changing lives around us but then you also see the baby get taken away from uh Mm -hmm. you know the 15 year old where she didn't have a choice and it's like another institution is like reaching in and doing something that feels so transgressive and and yeah uh, such a violation um of the mother-child relationship and it's treated as though well this is what's best and we know Mm -hmm. uh and, and so like at the same time we're seeing like two different institutions being uh treated differently right you know as to how what what their impact is um mm-hmm. on these uh you know on, on these and, you
1: know and at the same time um so the the catholic priest who's helping who's you know finding the place for mary um when he says like look if she has a if she's a 15 year old with a child she will not be able to find you know she won't be able to find honest work that isn't prostitution mm-hmm. um which and is a he's reality right mm-hmm. that, yeah um, yeah I think he's a really interesting character too because and and um you and the way the show handles religion because you know because um I mean half the half of the characters are nuns so you know religion does kind of figure into things but um, the fact that he is so practical in the way that he deals with her I you know I, th- I think when I first watched this episode I kind of expected him to be really judgmental and um, and instead he has just you know he just wants to help people and and you know help, help people who find themselves in really difficult circumstances um, and he's just very pragmatic you know he does not blame her at all for how she ended up um, he's very simple sympathetic to you know to her to her childhood and upbringing um he doesn't villainize
0: it, it, her for where she's mm-hmm. at in life but she he does condemn the men that have put her oh, in yes. this position uh, yes and so like I, I, at the end when the child gets taken away i think we almost want to villainize him but mm-hmm. I, I like that you're 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 bringing out there's this pragmatism that's driving all of these decisions and yeah it probably was pretty you know i obviously this is a portrayal that's being set up in 2012 i think when this this series was done but you know it's a pretty progressive view to say of you know the woman that society kind of forced you into this let us help mm-hmm. you as much as we can right now and condemn all the men that have failed her in her yeah. life that got her to yeah. that point
1: yeah yeah no and it's um you know i i do like i do like stories that have kind of moral ambiguity in the sense that you know you know we need to do the right thing but given the circumstances we're not really sure what the right thing is you know and and ideally it 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 would be ideal if you know if um if mary had been supported in ireland you know socially it would be ideal if she didn't have to give up her baby it would be ideal if she you know had to be able to find a job that would let her Mm -hmm. raise this
0: child as a single mother at age 15 right yeah or or have a support system around her um Mm -hmm. either through you know any of the networks that we're seeing in here of church government family they they're all to certain levels letting her down and ending up with this this uh, you know decision that doesn't feel right you know Mm -hmm. Um
1: yeah and, and there's some there's some later episodes that also talk about adoption um and you know and and what happens when the mother doesn't really want to give up her child but has to you know has to because of other circumstances and yeah
0: um, I feel like. Of the two characters that are driving the two storylines, Jenny Lee Mm -hmm. and Chummy Noakes, I feel like I've gotten to know Chummy better in this one episode than I got to know (laughs) Jenny in either of the two episodes, Uh, you know, having having had her in two even. Um, There's something about what we've been given so far that feels a little enigmatic. Um, Like, Mm -hmm. I'm not quite sure what is motivating her, um, you know, what, uh, you know, even what is like like her point of view on a lot of these issues other mm-hmm. than like she she thinks it was the wrong choice to separate the mother and child at the end mm-hmm. so that's that's about uh you know as, as firm a take as i get whereas with chummy i feel like i've got a little character sketch ready to go after just seeing her very first yes. episode
1: yeah and you know and with chummy at least um her circumstances and her background are in such a conflict, you know, to be sitting with these, you know, these other, these other three women who do not make a lot of money, because this is a time when you can get away with not paying women a lot of money to do their work. And they, you know, they're, they share a room and they live in a convent. And then, and then Chummy's talking about the last time she saw Princess Margaret, you know, she clearly comes from a very different background. Um, and later episodes, she, she gets a chance to talk about, you know, why she wanted to pursue, um missionary work christian missionary work and why she wanted you know and and why she wanted to go into um into nursing just because she really did not feel that she fit in with her upper class background she's just never felt comfortable there you know too large physically but also her personality was wrong um kind of too large socially so to speak um and And she butts heads, we get to meet her mother later on and her mother, you know, she butts heads with her mother, um, or her really, I mean, butts heads is a strong word, but her mother just kind of just her at all. Um, and, and yeah, so it's a really interesting situation, you know, what would, I mean, because presumably she doesn't have to work, you know, presumably she could just be, um, at home, you know, waiting to get married, but instead that she, you know, she decides to, um, to well first she ends up at the Royal School of Needlework, which I kind of wish I knew more about what kind of women would have been w- would have been students there at the time if it was something that would have been like a heavily upper class thing. Um and then she, you know, and then she moves into nursing, which her mother really didn't understand why she wanted to do that. But um but yeah, she's a really interesting character and you know Miranda Hart's an interesting character. And and going back to to Jenny, you know, sometimes there's um In some types of media, there's a tendency to give your viewpoint character maybe not a lot of personality because they're supposed to be a proxy for the reader. And 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 I kind of
0: broad a possible like right identification is possible you know exactly
1: yeah and so you know and so and so jenny maybe responds the way we would or are supposed to respond to a lot of situations like wait where's her baby and wait why did they take her away and wait that's not fair you know um but yeah it does make her it does make her motivations kind of complicated um She anyway, it's it's funny going back because you know there there are people. I mean, Miranda Hart is around for the first. Four series and there are other people who have left who I really really miss when I go back and watch their episodes but I don't miss Jenny sorry Jenny I'm sure you know we would not be here if it wasn't for you but you're not the most memorable character in Call the Midwife <laughs> I
0: wonder if um, I know I've used this quote multiple times on this podcast mm-hmm. but it makes me think a little bit about Kelsey Grammer when he talks about playing Frasier on Cheers he said I was the the bright color and I could play everything more broadly whereas uh-huh. when he became Frasier on Frasier he said I had to become the canvas and let Dave even Hyde Pierce and uh, Jane leaves and, you know, the other actors play a little more broadly, uh, you sure, know, sure. Against him and he felt like he had to be a little bit more of this, the, the, the calmer center mm-hmm. um, of it. And, and it sounds like the series kind of dev- ends up saying, uh, you know, this world of the, of midwifery is uh-huh. going to be our canvas, but early sure. on, maybe they were trying to keep um, uh, Jenny as that kind of, you know, that focal point uh, right, for the audience right. on, on which a broader character like Chummy mm-hmm. definitely is a broader character than yes, Jenny. Yes. Um, I, I'm comfortable saying that only seeing two episodes so far. <sighs> yeah,
1: but yeah, but I really do, you know, looking back on it, I really do think that Jenny kind of reacts the way we react um, as people who did not grow up in you know, as aristocrats, or in poverty, or working with people in poverty, or having seen a whole range of you know medical situations, or ha- having worked with people who are you know being failed by society. Yeah, I think she. I think she does. She is kind of our proxy. Um, and then you know, by the time we get to series four, it's like okay, we don't need a proxy anymore. Yeah, the yeah, right is in with us. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah.
0: And and one thing I think that is very interesting about Chummy is. Um, so much of what I feel like I know about her isn't done through like some monologue of her introducing herself to everyone. It's these little uh-huh. side comments where like something slips out, <laughs> you know, like yes. she accidentally yes. reveals that she was studying needlepoint or, you know, that uh-huh. she, that she knows, uh, you know, a princess, you know, whatever it may be. Like, exactly. Yeah, exactly. I, I thought it was really canny writing to be able to slip in so much that told us so much about who Chummy is, but not mm-hmm. have it like just laid out on a platter platter for us.
1: Oh, yeah. And it's such a, you know, it's it's I mean, and and I actually went back and rewatched the scene where she mentions that she knows Princess Margaret and or or doesn't even say I know Princess Margaret. She says, oh, you know, Cynthia says like, oh, yeah, I wonder what she'd be like. I bet she'd be a lot of fun. And Chummy says, yeah, she really is. And they're like, wait, what? (laughs) Um, Because it's such a great almost like, you know, record scratch moment where they all kind of like look at her and and. Um, and you know, and, and she's someone who is so genuine. Um, I mean, to, there, there are no airs about her at all, which is amazing. It's just that every time she opens her mouth, she says the truth. And the truth is that she comes from this very different background. Um, mm-hmm. and that's, you know, I mean, like, I mean, even the fact where she says, like, where it becomes clear, she's going to need to learn to ride a bike. And she says like, well, if I can ride a horse, like that can't be that hard. And like, how many of them have ever ridden a horse, you know? Right. Um, yeah. Yes. So she was. Sorry. Oh,
0: I was just gonna say, I, I like. I think it'd be really easy, and I've seen versions of it where it's like the interview with your boss on the first day, where the boss says, "Like, why does someone from your background want to work here?" Mm-hmm. You know, explain. Mm-hmm. And, and we get all the same information, but there's just something that's more charming in how they're able to weave these revelations uh yeah. in um in, in the show versus um you know something that can sometimes just be done in kind of a utilitarian way like okay we're mm-hmm. just gonna do it to get it done uh this is what the audience needs to know about this character
1: and she's such a trooper you know no one else has to make their own uniform on the first day like that is something that but you know she she does not fit into this world in you know, in a physical sense and also in a a social sense. Um, But she's just like, oh, that's okay. You know, we can get the, we can get the sewing machine running. We can make a pattern. We can, you know, Um, she just has this real, this real can-do attitude, which I'm sure has served her very well in nursing. Um, Yeah, she's just, she's just so cheerful and so helpful. Um, She, she kind of, she kind of represents the best of that, of that sort of stereotypical British, you know, let's let's make a do there's also there's also a really really funny shot where she's been called out to her first her first solo delivery and and fred who's like the handyman around in the convent who also gets a fun storyline in later series um he's made her a cup of tea because of course that's what you need and then he and then she's and then she gets called out and so he's like running after her with a cup of tea um which is just really adorable of like okay we we will we you know, we, we will do what we can to support each other. And if making a cup of tea and running after it is what we can do to support each other, then that is what we'll do. Darn it.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And with Chummy, I think one thing that resonates so well is some of the contrast that we become aware of, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, within her. So as we've said, like she has this upper class, uh upbringing that is all about polite society but she's also very socially awkward right
1: yes <laughs> like yes. she knows
0: the rules of what it would be to be polite but she also doesn't necessarily know what it's like you know in mm-hmm. in this new space that she finds herself in she'd yeah. be comfortable in worlds that be you know her, her co-workers would never be comfortable in mm-hmm.
1: um, well except would she or oh, would I she guess. just be like <laughs> equally uncomfortable in different
0: ways I, I guess yeah she, she'd be um <laughs> Yeah. Like she she wouldn't have this the kind of like I don't belong here. She'd have right. the like I right. I I'm just a little bit bumbling kind of right. discomfort. Yeah. Right. And, yeah, and because things someone, too loudly yeah. and, and in the wrong way, but not really caring.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> because there are other midwives who um who have kind of um who have things in their past that they don't talk about or that don't come out right away. And if she was, you know, if she was, if Chubby was very socially savvy, she would know, she would think twice before she said, yes, princess Margaret really is like that. Instead of being like, Oh yeah, I wonder what she's like. Or I can't believe that, you know that this supermarket doesn't have the oldest brand of whiskey in Scotland. Like, you know, she, if she was thinking that far ahead, there's, um there's another character who gets introduced later who it turns out that her um, she and her mother and her sister were all in a prisoner of war camp in world war two in, I can't remember in Southeast Asia somewhere and her mother and her sister died there. And so that's like, so she has this very, um, you know so so she has this very like cheerful we can do kind of surface attitude because she is like not talking about some of those things that happened in her past um and and then you know eventually does come out and and they kind of discuss it but um but yeah chummy can't even you know she can't even bother to to realize that what she's going to say is going to shock people, even if it's shocking people with however class she is or shocking people, you know, not in a bad way, but, Mm -hmm. but she just kind of is who she is. She's so straightforward and she can't pretend to be someone that she's not.
0: And I think another interesting point for her is that, She seems to possess a lot of knowledge about, Mm -hmm. you know, midwifery. Like, she she has the book knowledge, but she also has this fear that she's going to fail. And Mm -hmm. I think it comes because, like, you know, she's knocking the, you know, the the equipment over and things like that. But then when it's the moment, like, she rises. Like, Mm -hmm. she becomes the calm uh, necessary version of chummy. <laughs> yeah. Know, that, yeah. Needed in that moment.
1: And and it's like Dr. Turner points out that, you know, she, she may be a little bit awkward when she's kind of working their way around the small exam space, but she knows exactly what to do when she is, you know, when, when she's working, when she's, working with this expectant mother who's bursting into tears because of her traumatic previous pregnancies. And it's just like, you know, she's, she's so calm and she's so kind and, and, you know, in in all her genuineness and her genuine kind of awkwardness and genuine, you know, putting her foot in her mouth or saying things that are awkward. She's also so genuinely kind and so genuinely supportive. She ends up um, directing like a a local scout troop later on. And that's really funny because she's just got these, you know, little, little, these young boys who are, um, and she's trying to help them do like a Christmas pageant and all this stuff. Yeah, so I have not seen um, it, but
0: I am seeing it so clearly and exactly, remember, that exactly. Hart in that role. I, yes. yes, it would work.
1: <laughs> yeah. Oh, and, and a fun, a trivia thing that I forgot to add is that, um, so so she's based on a character from the, the books but apparently that character is maybe a composite character or somewhat fictionalized. So so but this character does appear in the books this very tall aristocratic kind of awkward character and um and Jennifer Worth so the woman who wrote the memoirs actually approached her and asked her to play chummy before if the series was ever made into a tv show or a movie and so before they'd even cast it they said you would be so perfect because miranda hart does have you know the height and the comedic talent and apparently she does also have something of an aristocratic background herself and so she's just perfect to play this character um so yeah she was cast before before anyone else was cast before the show was even greenlit um uh, Jennifer Worth asked her to play the character
0: I mean I just have to say Miranda Hart has quickly become one of those actresses that if she's involved in a project I'm going to be a little more curious about that yes. project. like want to like she was in the uh, recent uh, version Emma. of Emma and <laughs> once I saw her in the trailer I was like oh
1: Miranda exactly exactly yeah everything is just that much better with Miranda Hart
0: yes somehow they got to get her into like the next Star Wars film just yeah.
1: <laughs> that would be wonderful <laughs>
0: Um, overall for this series, one thing that stood out to me is, um, because of the world that they're showing, obviously, but this is a very female centered story. But then I was starting to think like, this is literally like birth is Uh everyone's starting point. Like (laughs) this is everyone's story, but how, um, infrequently is this, you know, a a centerpiece, you know, a focus point for, Uh for a narrative. And it just, there's so much inherent, drama and life and death stakes and different, uh, like, as as midwives, they're going to be called to every uh, economic station, every Mm -hmm. part of the city because... Birth. <laughs> it's yeah, exactly. Everywhere. Exactly.
1: Yeah. Uh, and it, so
0: it seems so brilliant to make mm-hmm. a story centered on this. And part of me is just frustrated that it wasn't until 2012 that someone mm-hmm. finally cracked it and said, Oh, look at all you know, everything that you're looking for in an elevator pitch is yeah. right here. Um
1: and, the- and also the you know, the kind of show where where you don't have to you don't have to manufacture a lot of sort of soap opera drama with the characters because you could just have a child you know if every if every episode has a birth like that's drama right there you know birth or preparing for birth or um you know or or something goes wrong on a birth or some other social issue some nursing issue like they have you know they're they're able to keep their their sort of regular characters very grounded because there's so much drama already going on in the community
0: yeah and um you know in it, it, it being in the writer's room like you said so much of this is based on the memoir but they've obviously moved past it but mm-hmm. it would just be so um like there's so many options in some ways it almost feels like there'd be too many things that you could want to explore uh mm-hmm. for a storyline in the writer's room whereas i'm sure in um you know if it's you know it's to come like the office at a certain point they've got to scratch their heads and say okay what's yes. the story we can tell in the office which yes. i mean that show is a classic and it, it did it uh-huh. very well but there's got to be a right. little more head scratching that happens versus uh call the midwife where it's like okay what's our call to action in this episode <laughs> you know mm-hmm. we, we we know what it is yeah <laughs> you know yeah. our herald yeah, it, of adventure it, it, is pretty clearly yes. the water breaking <laughs>
1: Yes, it's a literal, it is a, and it's a literal phone call to <laughs> Nanata's house and a midwife heads out. Yeah. um, and, and going back to what you said about it being a very female centric show, I think we've talked in past episodes about the, about the Bechtel test, which is not. A which is not a test of how well women are represented it's usually a test of how poorly women are represented in in terms of shows that don't pass it Mm -hmm. um but yeah i i think that this show actually does not pass the reverse Bechtel test in that i don't think so there are more than two men in it there are more than two male characters who have names but i don't think there are two men who have a conversation with each other um And, and, you know, there are episodes where they do, but it's just, it's just such a female heavy show that, um, that it's all, you know, all like they're all the conversations are mediated through women and, and about women and by women and for women. Um, yeah. So if you, you know, if you're trying to, um, to maybe, uh, broaden your, your media consumption, if you're watching a lot of male centric shows, and if you've realized that maybe you're missing some, some female centric shows in the media there are nine series and counting of call the midwife that you could use to balance out all of the um all of whatever else you're watching
0: <laughs> and, and uh i mean it's also behind the camera so like the yes glancing through the the first season it's um Mostly women uh, directors and writers, not not mm-hmm. entirely, um, but it, it, there's definitely a trend there uh, sure. that, that that you can see. Um, and just for the the voice that they're looking for in the storytelling, I, you know, that makes perfect sense um, mm-hmm. for this. And I will just say, as a man, I at no point was I like, "Where's the men?" <laughs> <You> know, <it's, laughs> like, this is the story that's being told, and it makes sense for it to be told this way.
1: Yeah, uh, right. Yeah.
0: You know. Um, and uh, again, it's just uh, once. I I heard what, you know, even in the title Call the Midwife, mm-hmm. and you know it's set in nineteen fifties London you know, England, it's like, okay, I can see how you could get an entire series out of this very
1: easily. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's no, it's it's a really, really fun show. Um and highly, and, and I and I'll say when I um when we were trying to figure out which episode to do, I went to, I went to IMDB and I went to like the, the individual episode ratings, the pot, the, the, the um, like out of 10 stars, those ratings mm-hmm. to see, Oh, like what's a really good episode. And all of the episodes were nine out of ten stars, which is which is ridiculously high for a popular television show. I because mean, how so like, many people
0: are actually giving ratings?
1: Exactly, exactly. So, so basically, what happens is tons of people are rating this, and they're all rating it as like perfect or nearly perfect. You know, like like um, if, like a like the. You know, next generation, Star Trek Next Generation probably has one or two episodes that are rated over a nine. And Call the Midwife, all of them are rated over a nine, which is obviously like you can't really compare statistically, there are different things going on, but um, but yeah, just the fact that it has a core audience that just loves everything about it. Um, it is kind of interesting. The show, you know, the show has been nominated for some awards, but um, it looks like it hasn't you know it looks like it hasn't gotten really really prestigious awards and like like it's not getting nominated for british for very many um for a show that's been running this long, let me put it this way. If if an American show was running for 10 seasons, it would probably be getting Emmy-nominated every season. And it looks like Call the Midwife is not getting the equivalent of that, but it is getting things like the best family drama from the TV Choice Awards, um, which, you know, it it makes me think a lot about, um, you know, what we value in media. I mean, this is not Breaking Bad, you know, and there are, and, and it's not that... It's not that one of those is necessarily better than the other, but I think this show is as good at what it's doing as Breaking Bad was at what it was doing. And yet that's the kind of show that gets a lot of attention, you know, for being gritty and and realistic and everything. Um, and this is the kind of show that gets nominated for best family drama for the TV choice awards, which looks like a popularity award. Um, so it kind of makes me think about like what we value in terms of like, do we value women's stories as much as men's stories? Do we value sort of heartwarming stories as much as, um, you know, gritty, gritty dramas? Um, Do we value, you know, do we value stories? I mean, the other thing is like, you don't know because this show does have, you know, sometimes things end well and sometimes they don't. I mean, sometimes you have like, um like high-risk pregnancies that end well. And sometimes you have high-risk pregnancies that end with the mother dying or the baby dying. And so it's not like, you know, it's not like everything is just like we're pretending that everything's warm and fuzzy all the time. And this episode, you know, the A the Ape pollen is a really good example of that. And yet, you know, somehow we don't maybe don't value that kind of social commentary as much. Or, you know, again, if we're not if we're not if this isn't the show about like drug kingpins in New Mexico, then does it really have any value? (laughs) Well,
0: and I think some of it is going to be like we said, it's a very female centric show. And what are the voting boards of so many of the award shows now? uh, Right. Some have very publicly been making overhauls of late, but it's because they realized we've kind of got a 70 year inertia that doesn't look great in terms of uh, diversity of voices in, you know, when it comes to gender and race, you know, and all Mm -hmm. these other factors. Um, And they, very often, uh, you know, you can look at the historical trends would reward male creators Mm -hmm. telling male centric stories, not universally, but you can, you can find the trend line. uh, Yeah, pretty clearly.
1: And, you know, as far as diversity goes, I will say that um, in the early series, this is a very white show. um, And that's, you know, that's probably historically accurate in terms of who would have been midwives and maybe who would have been living in the area. Although in terms of the, the day to day or the, the, the show to show episodes, they absolutely have couples who are, um, who are, you know, Southeast Asian, who are, um, who are black British, you know, that comes up to play and they do discuss that. And then later on, I have actually haven't gotten quite that far yet, but I think in either season seven or eight, they have a, um, they do have their first, um, black midwife she's she's jamaican and i and i read something funny i think it was um a, a friend of mine who posted that she had been talking to her grandmother who i think so i think her character's an immigrant from jamaica and in real life the actress's grandmother's an immigrant from jamaica and so she's been talking to her grandmother about what it was like at that time period to have immigrated and stuff so that's a really fun kind of um i i, I love the idea of someone getting to you know get in touch with their own heritage as an actor because of a character that they're playing
0: yeah that that is really interesting well uh kirsta i think we're about at the time point we're going to have to be wrapping up do you have any final thoughts on call the midwife or these characters
1: call the midwife is a wonderful show um truthfully if i if i wanted to discuss social issues with my you know hypothetical high school age children i might do it through call the midwife (laughs) we might talk about that um as always hypothetical parenting is much more easier is much easier than real parenting but um it's a good show it's a good family show um you you know even if it does discuss some really some really tough topics um so yeah i recommend it
0: yeah, uh, I think it's going to be one of those that I've done an episode on for for the podcast, and then it kind of just keeps slipping in. <laughs> I'm gonna, yes. you know, keep, keep going to <laughs> keep revisiting uh, more than one show. I can now say I've watched the entire run because someone asked us to do an episode about it <laughs> for, Excellent. for the podcast. <laughs> Well, that is going to wrap up this episode of the Protagonist Podcast. Thank you for joining us for show notes and links to all the other great dueling genre shows. You can go to duelinggenre.com. Also, please subscribe to the Protagonist Podcast in your podcast app of choice, and please leave us a review. That really helps us out. We'd like to thank Scott Tofty who composed our theme music. You can reach us by emailing feedback at protagonistpodcast.com. We're also on Twitter. You can follow at Protagonist potter or at Jay dorowski and our producer Andrew is at DisMinute. And our Facebook fan page is facebookcom protagonistpodcast Podcast. And Dueling Genre has also set up a Discord. So if you're on Discord, you can search for Duel- with genre, and uh, join that there. Kirsten, is there anything you would like to plug?
1: I don't think so. Um, stay safe and healthy, so that we can we can record podcasts in person, and you can have in-person parasocial relationships with your uh, with your favorite podcasters.
0: <laughs> well, thank you, Kirsten, for coming on, and thank you, listeners, for downloading this episode. We'll be back next week to discuss another great character in a great story. So long.
1: Bye bye. Okay, anyway, this is not called The Midwife. Yeah, it is not. (laughs)